Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry. And uh, we're here to manipulate you into learning something new. You're trying to use your least psychopath voice that you have. Yeah, but it's having the opposite <laughs> effect I'm, I'm trying for, isn't it? You're not fooling anyone. <laughs> well, you just made a powerful enemy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how you doing? I'm good. I'm feeling quite, quite good. I like this one. This is, this one's going to have it all. You Agreed. know what I mean? Yeah. Psychology, mm-hmm. disputed psychology. Yes. Uh, prison, murder. Well, yeah, a little serial killer action. Yeah, we can't not mention at least Hollywood. The DSM. Uh, con- uh, contradictions in terms, all sorts of stuff. The Bible, China. Yeah. Wait, how does, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I forgot about those parts. So we're talking psychopathy. Yeah. Which, I mean, people say, well, what's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? We'll get to that. By psychopath, don't you mean psychotic? We'll get to that, too. Keep your pants on, psychopath. Just buckle in. Yeah. And if you think you know everything there is to know about psychopaths, well, you may be surprised. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of misconceptions out there about psychopaths about exactly what constitutes a psychopath or what they act like or how easy they are to recognize. Um, and it turns out this article actually points out that a lot of the <clears throat> people who tend to lead other people mm-hmm. sometimes have psychopathic qualities. Like, for example, obviously, you would call Hitler a psychopath. I sure. think just about everybody would, right? Mm-hmm. But I guess from studying them posthumously and remotely um guys like teddy roosevelt jfk but i'm sure basically every president that's ever been president of the united states exhibits some psychopathic qualities right mm-hmm. and some because some actually can be considered useful in the right context right like immunity to stress or fearlessness or the ability to influence others these are pretty handy things to have if you're a politician, but just because you are you your your reaction to stress is far lower than the average person mm-hmm. or, you know, you have an ability to charm other people into doing what you want. It doesn't automatically make you a psychopath. And the reason why it doesn't automatically make you a psychopath is because there is a spectrum of psychopathy and there's a threshold where below the threshold you may have some of these qualities or traits of psychopathy, mm-hmm. but you're not a psychopath. At that threshold or above, though, you would be considered a psychopath. And if that is the case, if you are a full-blown psychopath, you have a very specific set of characteristics that very much separate you from the average person in some extraordinarily scary ways. If Potentially, yeah. Yes, if psychopaths um, exist in this form at all. There's a lot of debate about that as well. Yeah. So, uh, if you think, if you have a hundred friends, uh, science estimates that one of those people is a psychopath. Yeah. I saw that figure too. So 1% of the general population. So uh, uh, as many as 3 million psychopaths in the United States, uh, states and about 70 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. And only, I think, what is it? About 25% of those are in the 
prison population. So, we, okay, people, people, uh, the majority of prisoners aren't psychopaths. Correct. And the majority of psychopaths aren't in prison. Right, which and means they're all walking among us. Yeah, it, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't in prison because they haven't been caught yet. There's a lot of uh, what are known as high-functioning psychopaths that are full, full-on full psychopaths, but they just don't exhibit the kind of traits that would get you locked up in prison. Instead, they exhibit um, what we would call white-collar crimes, which aren't yeah. prosecuted in the United States. They're hedge States, fund managers. Basically. <laughs> well, it is funny because, I mean, I do make that joke, but they said that they think as many as perhaps 10% of like people in the finance industry could be psychopaths. Yeah, there was a study that found that Very for sure. Yeah, so, and and but that makes a pretty good point. Like there's some in the right context. Yeah. Uh being a psychopath can actually be useful to you. All right, well let's go back to Aristotle. Okay. Like most things. He's the he's the the tissue that binds this with the cricket farming episode. Correct. Interestingly. Yeah. So, I I know in cricket farming we talked about his pillow talk. <laughs> Being great. Uh, back in those days when he was pillow talking, he had a student named uh, Theophrastus. Nice. And Theophrastus was a, a fourth century BCE philosopher. And they, they talked about psychopaths. They called them unscrupulous mm-hmm. at the time. But what they were talking about was what we would now refer to as psychopaths. And everything from uh, the Chinese to biblical stories to mythology and uh, Greece and Rome, to Shakespeare. Like, it's just rife through history, uh, literary history, of people writing about what we would now call a psychopath. Yeah, and it's not just the West either. I mean, like, we call them psychopaths here. Apparently, the uh, Yoruba of southwestern Nigeria call them uh, Aronicon. Mm-hmm. The Yukup Eskimos call them Kunlangeta. Um they they seem to be <clears throat> around, like you said, 1% of the global population. So they're not like culturally bound. It's not a culturally bound condition. Right. But it does seem contextual in that psychopaths are contrary to society. Yeah. Like, they don't follow the social norms that keep everybody else in line that typically arise out of things like empathy and feeling bad for other people and seeing other people as their own sentient um, selves. Yeah. And not, not just uh, mm. bags of meat to be manipulated. Yeah. To your own ends. Yeah. So psychopaths make appearances throughout history, throughout literature. Um, you mentioned the Bible. So um, Cain is widely referred to as an early psychopath. The first psychopath. <laughs> Maybe so. At least in the, in the Judeo Christian tradition, right? Yeah. But if we if we fast forward to 18th century France, like the beginnings, the modern beginnings of our Western, at least, conception of psychopaths were found in the hands of a French physician named Philippe Pinel. Yeah, he was uh, one of the first uh, professional medical professionals to talk about this. And he referred to them as uh, maniaque sans délire. Nice. Uh, insanity without delirium. Right. Um, they've gone by other names since then uh, uh, and descriptions from moral derangement, uh, moral insanity, rational madness. 
Right. And that actually describes like a type of insanity where you're like morally and even maybe behaviorally deranged, but you're not cognitively impaired Mm -hmm. and your, your sense of your touch with reality is your grip on reality is totally normal as well. Yeah. Like kind of the whole point is they are walking among us and uh, by all accounts are usually very, a charming kind of uh, quote, normal unquote seeming individuals. Mm Mm-hmm. Predatory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then finally, in 1888, uh, there was a German psychiatrist named J.L.A. Koch. And he said, I have the term, it is psychopastiche, means suffering soul. And that's where the actual word, finally, psychopathy was born. Right. And then I think into the 30s, or beginning in the 30s, sociopathy took over and replaced psychopathy for a couple of reasons. One, um, from about the 30s to the 70s, there was this idea that psychopaths should be called sociopaths because it was um, nurture rather than nature that mm-hmm. accounted for their antisocial behavior. Um, that it was, say, a bad mother, cold father or absent father, something like that. Yeah, that 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 was the basis of sociopathic behavior. The other reason that sociopathy became widely used was because people were getting it confused with psychosis, psychopathy and psychosis. They're not at all the same thing. Psychosis means it's an umbrella term for um, a loss of a grip on reality, delusions, basically, right? right? And psychosis can be brought on by any number of things, like from dementia um, to lack of sleep to schizophrenia. So psychosis is a condition where your grip on reality is tenuous at best. Psychopaths are full. Their grip on reality is a hundred percent totally fine. It's just, again, it goes back to this idea that it's a moral derangement. They have no morals. They have no scruples. They have no conscience is another way that it's usually put. Um, But they're, they're, they're not delusional at all. Their grip on reality is totally fine. Yeah, like in in a psychopathic brain, there is literally a physical abnormality in the brain. Right, right, um, and that's a huge, huge new development. Oh too, yeah, Chuck. Like, the, and as a result, sociopathy is quickly losing favor as a interchangeable term for psychopathy. Yeah, I mean, the terms over the years have were mostly interchangeable. Uh, in 1980, the DSM, uh, which we've talked about a lot, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Um, I think they called it, they said no more sociopathy. Let's call it antisocial personality disorder, ASPD. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the terminology is important because you shouldn't just use two different things interchangeably to mean the same thing. Right. No, it's true. And I, with, um, psychiatrists and psychologists who study psychopathy in particular, uh, especially a guy named Robert Hare who was continuing on the work of a guy named Hervey Cleckley, who did his work, Chuck, in Augusta, Georgia. Yeah, I saw that. Um, said, no, 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 like, you can't just say psychopaths are just part of an antisocial personality disorder, yeah. which is what the DSM does, right? Um, and the, the reason why is because they've, what they've concluded is that they're basically two aspects, two two different facets is what they call them, to being a psychopath. 
There's primary psychopathy and secondary psychopathy or factor one and factor two psychopathy, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. So Herbie, great name, by the way, Herbie mm-hmm. Cleckley, <laughs> he's the guy from Augusta and he's the one who wrote a book called The Mask of Sanity, um, which is sort of the foundation of, of modern psychopathic research. Mm-hmm. But he was the one that came up with factor one and two. And is that... Basically, just what we now call primary and secondary. He came up with these the first descriptors that are still kind of in in use today, where um, things like um, that they they lack social responsibility, but mm-hmm. they're usually highly intelligent. Um, they're very irresponsible. They don't um, they they have a winner take all um, attitude. Yeah. Um, he he spelled out like sixteen character traits. Um, and he was basically the father of psychopathy. It was Hare who came up with the two factors or more to the point, they emerged from his psychopathy checklist that, that he developed back in, I think, the late 70s, early 80s. Right. So with factor one, Chuck, that relates to like interpersonal mm-hmm. uh, behavior. So the idea that psychopaths are very charming, um, but that they also lack remorse. Right. This is all this the, this is all considered factor one or primary psychopathy. And they actually think that this is where, um, you know, psychopathy is rooted. It's a it's the the seeing other people as means to an end and w- using people in that sense without any regard for the other person's feelings or the consequences it has on their life and then genuinely lacking remorse. These are classic traits of psychopathy, right? Yeah. But that's just one facet of it. There's another facet, factor two, which is the the behavioral aspect of psychopathy. And factor two relates to things like impulsivity, uh, sexual promiscuity, uh, parasitic lifestyle. Yeah. And so if psychopathy is a spectrum that we all potentially could be on the psychopath spectrum, but we would most of us fall below that threshold then factor one and factor two are like a spectrum within a spectrum Yeah. to where on one side you have the high functioning psychopaths like CEOs say. Mm-hmm. And then on the <laughs> other side, you have very low functioning factor two psychopaths, like a truck stop serial killer, right? Right. Who's getting sloppy. Um, and then in between you would have, you know, a mixture, but uh, you can kind of lean more toward the factor one psychopathy. You could lean more toward the factor two psychopathy, but the factor two psychopathy relates almost exclusively to the DSM's antisocial personality disorder criteria. And so therefore the DSM is ignoring factor one psychopathy. And so therefore really the only way you can be diagnosed as a psychopath is through the hair psychopath checklist um so there's almost like this competing field that's going up against the dsm yeah as far as the study of psychopaths is concerned you you take the rest of the episode <laughs> all right well let's take a break so i can memorize all this stuff and uh we'll come back and talk a little bit about demographics and that hair test right after this <laughs>
All right. So uh, we're back with talks about demographics. Um, studying <laughs> psychopathy and psychopaths is tricky, to say the least, because uh, this is there is no um, you can't. Uh, well, we'll talk a little bit about the brain, but there is no you know, you can't hook someone up to a machine that will spit out a diagnosis of psychopath. Uh, so you're going to have to get someone who self reports this stuff, which you're not going to see a lot because no one uh, usually likes to think of themselves that way. Yeah. Um, but uh, most of the data they have right now is gathered from psychiatric examinations of criminals. Yeah. So there's really like a, a, a sheltered view of psychopaths. We have just a limited snapshot yeah. of the of the full spectrum of psychopathy because, yeah, if you're a psychopath, you're not going to go in to look for help. You think you're better than everybody else. So the very traits that make you a psychopath would make you feel like you need the opposite yeah. of of psychiatric help. Yeah, like, what are you saying? I'm I'm winning in life. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so as far as age goes, when they analyzed um, some of the results of some of these examinations, uh, prisoners, they did show that it seems like psychopathic traits might decrease some as you get older. They don't know why. Um, but it is, there's a lot of um, controversy about whether or not you can diagnose a kid as a psychopath. Uh, sometimes you might see some traits that a child expresses that you might associate with psychopathy, but legally, technically, you can't diagnose a child as a psychopath. And uh, just because you might have some psychopathic tendencies as a kid doesn't mean you're going to grow up to be that way as well. No, but they do have, as part of that antisocial personality disorder spectrum, um, they have diagnoses for kids like oppositional defiant disorder. Yeah. Which seems to be basically like a, a factor two psychopath diagnosis for children. Right. Um, but Hardly yeah, thinks they just don't like to use that word for kids. No, no. And, and like you should be very careful with labeling. Yeah. Clinically labeling somebody a psychopath just because of the the um, the stigma associated with it. Yeah. Like, can you imagine sitting parents down and saying, well, um, Francis is a psychopath. Right. Like your six year old is a psychopath. Yeah. Not good. No. They there's probably a company who specializes in that because nobody else wants to do it. Oh, like uh, up in the air, people paid to come in and fire people. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I would if it was George Clooney, that'd be a different deal. Right. Your child's a psychopath. <laughs> Here's some literature on that. And I'm some, George Clooney. And some fine tequila. Right. Is you, it fine? Yeah, it's good, but man, he sold that thing for a billion dollars. No. Can you believe that? No. No. Like George Clooney rolling in dough. Yeah. Wow. Ro I, rolling in handsome. Billion dollar tequila. That's, rolling I mean, in charm. And he sold a, his tequila company for a billion bucks. Yeah. Good for he's him. A, he's a psychopath. I feel like we've talked about that before, have we? Is that possible? No, we talked about him being smug. Oh, well, you did, sir. Not me. Right. Well, you said, oh, I know. He's so smug. No, I didn't. I want to <laughs> date him. <laughs> uh, so when it comes to race, um, it gets even more controversial because uh, there have been analyses that tried to link uh, higher rates of the disorder to uh, Native American uh, communities, African-American yeah. people. And most psychiatrists have come out and say, you know what, this is really not taking into account socioeconomic factors. And it's pretty racist. Yeah. There was this guy named Richard Lynn who wrote 
uh, back in the early 2000s, a, a journal article about that and tried to basically say that the order of um, psychopathy as far as prevalence is concerned is highest in blacks and Native Americans and then followed by Hispanics and then whites and then East Asians. <laughs> and he said that it had everything to do with evolution and he totally left out the fact that Hispanics are actually just 500 years or so removed from Caucasian Spanish people. Right. Uh, and that, um, East Asians are the, um, are tied genetically to Native Americans over the last like 10,000 years or so. So people just had fun kind of trashing this guy's ideas. And he was like, you might also want to read my manifesto on eugenics. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, one thing is clear though, uh, when it comes to gender, um, they're definitely more psychopathic men than women. This we, is we up in say the that, air, right? dude. The, it, yeah, yeah. All of the numbers bear it out. Like this guy's a, the guy who, the people who say no, it has to do with race seem to be total crackpots. Yeah. Um, but the people who say that there is a difference in gender, they're backed up by numbers for sure. Um, studies show that, that women definitely have lower occurrences of psychopathy, but it has been pointed out that perhaps what women psychopaths, their behavior, that their behavior manifests itself differently right. than male psychopaths and that the psychopathy criteria is geared more toward males and is missing female psychopaths. Uh, okay. So, for example, like, uh, um, you know, you think of a psychopath, you think of like a high functioning one, say like a CEO or a Patrick Bateman type or something, right? Yeah. That's like a classic psychopath. But what if, what if there are just as many women psychopaths, but they're like, um, Joan Crawford and Mommy Dearest or something like that, you know, like they uh -huh. just, they're, they're the way that they behave as a psychopath manifests itself differently than how men do. That's it's a theory. It's not necessarily true, but that's what some people say. Well, and the, the the waters are so muddy with how men and women think of each other and their roles in society that it's bound to play a part here and how that gets all mixed up, you know. Right. Yeah, it's true. Uh well, and then, you know, there are like the Eileen Warnoses of the world as well. Like there, I know there aren't many female serial killers, but uh there have been some for sure. Sure. But there's definitely not I mean, when you look at the list of serial killers, you hear, you see way more Ted Bundy's and, and who is the guy? Uh, uh, BTK. Yeah. The Dennis BTK. Rader. Yeah. There are more of those dudes out there than Eileen Warnos is for sure. Sure. That's, I mean, there's, as far as the numbers suggest, yes, that's true. But I think it's extremely interesting that like we're, we've got the blinders on and are just looking at one set of behaviors for psychopaths and are totally missing an entire population out there yeah. that are women psychopaths. That's just fascinating to me. So should we talk about the psychopathy checklist? Yeah, we kind of have to. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned a little bit of it, um, through, uh, Hervey, Ch Hervey Cleckley. That's got to be my new ho hotel name. Um, <laughs> Hervey Cleckley's work. And then Hare, uh, is the, the man who is responsible for, uh, the modern, um, the modern checklist and test that people still give other people. Yeah. And it's pretty simple. Um, well, it's, it's not simple. Well, it's extensive for sure. Yeah. Simple in that there are 20 characteristics. And when you take the test, you either give yourself a two if you have one of these characteristics 
or a one if you may or may not. And then at the end, you do a little math. And is it 30 and above out of 40, you qualify as a psychopath? Yeah, I saw it depends on what country you're in. Um, <laughs> but seriously, but um, somewhere like between 26 and 30 over that, you are probably you're probably a psychopath or you are you you qualify as a psychopath. Yes. So here are those 20 characteristics. Uh, and you can either just listen to these or you can have fun thinking about your own self. <laughs> and doing a little math along That's the way. So true. <laughs> I did math on mine earlier, and I'm like, all right, I'm not a psychopath. And you can also, if it doesn't apply, uh, that you score a zero on any of the questions. Yeah, correct. Right. Uh, so we start with uh, glibness and superficiality. And I think these aren't things like, you know, everybody can be a little superficial every now and then. I think these are personality traits that you own. Right. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. All right, so glibness and superficiality is one. Uh, grandiosity, uh, need for stimulation, pathological lying, uh, cunning and manipulativeness, mm -hmm. uh, lack of remorse or guilt, uh, and emotional shallowness. You want to take the rest? Yep, callousness and lack of empathy. Big one. Parasitic lifestyle. Uh -huh. uh, poor behavioral controls. Sure. Sexual promiscuity, early behavior problems. Lack of realistic long-term goals, impulsivity, irresponsibility. You take the rest. Uh, failure to accept that responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, multiple marriages. That just seems unfair. <laughs> um, juvenile delinquency and revocation of conditional release, which is like uh, recidivism or violating your parole. Yeah, and committing a variety of crimes. Yeah, so some of those you were like, ooh, I can be callous and... I don't, I can be impulsive and don't have realistic long-term goals. Like, don't sweat it. Just do the math. Like a 30 out of 40 is a pretty, that means you're scoring on, on a lot of these. Right. But so this, these are the 20 characteristics that the checklist is getting at. The checklist is actually hundreds of questions long. Right. And takes between two and five hours to administer and can only be administered by a highly trained psychologist, right? Who's yeah. trained in administering the tests or a cheap website. So, right. So it's not like the, the psychologist is like, did you have early behavior problems? Uh, maybe. So right. that's a one. There's like the dozens of questions for each of those things. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so when you, when you put the score together for all of them, if you score over a 30, um, you're a psychopath as far as psychology, the field of psychology is concerned. Yeah. And you, you know, hopefully you are a functioning psychopath who, um, is getting along in the world, uh, but it can also manifest itself as Ted Bundy. So let's say you are a psychopath and you're not getting along in the world. Um, one of the one of the characteristics of psychopaths is something called externalization, uh -huh. where you blame others or everything else but yourself for your own problems. Yeah. Um, but if you are a psychopath, and you're more so if you're not getting along very well in the world, you're probably more like a factor two psychopath. Yeah. If you are getting along well in the world, you've got a nice job or whatever, a family, all that. You've got your mask of sanity, as Cleckley put it. Yeah. Um, you, you'd be more like a factor one psychopath. Um, you're probably a, an intelligent human being. Yeah. 
And even if you're incarcerated, if you, there's probably a pretty good chance that you're above average intelligence, especially compared to the general prison population, uh-huh. right? I was reading this article about, um, by a psychologist who was basically telling other psychologists, if you go interview a psychopath, here's what to expect. And one of the things he said is, you can bet they've probably done more research on you than you have on them. Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter, great example, right? He knew everything about Starling. Everything. But like just with, say, Internet privileges, if a if a psychopath knows that he's coming to be interviewed by you, the psychiatrist, he's probably going to read papers you've written. He's going to read about what um, your, about your education background. And all of this is to figure out how to best tell you what you want to hear so you can be more easily manipulated yeah. to that person's ends. Mm hmm. It's pretty fascinating, but it's also kind of scary. And you kind of reach the point now where it's like, uh, oh, okay, this is um, kind of dangerous, actually, to interact with people like this. And there's a lot of people out there who suggest just staying away from psychopaths. Just if you encounter a psychopath in your normal life, say at work or something like that, um, you want to keep your distance is is kind of the prescribed um treatment well at least how to deal with them like because if you're being manipulated by a psychopath that's that's part of their game so if you engage like jody foster had no choice right clary starling had to engage in hannibal lecter and play that little uh psychological cat and mouse game right so she could get the information that he had on buffalo bill i know she didn't want to do it but she did it anyway and she (laughs) saved the day Yeah, so that is the advice, is to not give them what they want, uh, which I imagine would would make a psychopath uh, angry. (laughs) I don't know. I think depending on, say, like their tendency for a parasitic lifestyle. Right. um, They may just move on to find somebody else who's more easily manipulated. Yeah, sure. sure. Like it's possible that they you might really capture their attention, in which case you're you're not going to be very happy with having to to shed that person. But Chuck, something that really struck me, and this is going to sound really weird to say it, but I can't help but think 50 years from now, we're going to look back at a lot of the writing and uh, a lot of the suggestions on how to deal with the psychopath, which is get rid of them, leave, get them, a, get away from them. They're predators and awful people that they're, they're going to, there's going to be a, historically it's not going to hold up very well that that, yeah i think we're going to come to find that um psychopaths have no way of helping themselves that they are their brain is physically different from the average person's yeah and that they can't help their behavior any more than the average person can change their own behavior right right um probably even less actually and then we're going to look at you know back 50 years from now it's like man that's how they treated psychopaths back then how awful You know, like how we used to treat the mentally impaired right. or the cognitively impaired. And they were, you know, classified as morons, idiots or imbeciles, depending on how how extreme the impairment was. And, you know, it was just lock them up, keep them away from society. I, I can't help but wonder if once we know how to treat psychopathy, that we will view them much differently and maybe even with sympathy. Well, I mean, they have something physically wrong with their brain. It seems like it, but that's a new thought. And we'll let's take a break and we'll talk about that after this. (laughs) 
All right, we're back. Uh, so we promised a little bit of talk about the brain. And, um, you know, there's a couple of things that work here and at play. There, there's the, the physical aspect of the brain is actually, uh, uh, well, I would say damage, but, um, just not right in some ways. Uh, there tends to be regions of the brain. They're really trying to zero in on which, which one it is like underdeveloped underdeveloped. Yeah. It's either smaller, it has less volume or it's less active than it is in control groups. Right. So there's that going on. And then there are also, and this is what we talked about with, uh, factors one and two. Um, there's also social, uh, factors that play in, uh, and they supposedly, get supposedly, supposedly, well, I mean, that seems to be losing favor pretty quickly. You think? You yeah, think it's going yeah. 100% um, brain damage? That's supposedly what I'm seeing is that that's the, I, and it could just be the people who are like really bullish on MRIs are really, you know, getting more press or whatever right. and getting their message out there more. But it seems like over time, favor has swung from, you know, insanity to, um, to nurture to, and then back again to, you know, physical brain structure, possibly even genetics. Well, yeah, genetics, they have done studies on twins, identical twins, and they think it could be 50 to 60% genetically determined. But it gets a little muddy because you can say, well, um, you might have gotten your psychotic, or not psychotic, we should point out that is a very different thing, actually. Right, we did. Um, oh, yeah, we did at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you could say that your your dad was um, a psychopath, so... That means that you got that from him, but the fact that your dad was a psychopath, it could also be a very strong um, social factor in why you became a psychopath. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Your absent father, did that make you a psychopath, or was he absent because he was a psychopath himself and passed his genes on to you, right? Yeah, so it definitely gets muddy. It is very muddy, and the way that that will be sussed out ultimately is if they can show definitively no, dude, it like in case after case after case, uh-huh. this this region of the brain is underdeveloped and this region of the brain has to do with, say, processing emotions. Right. Like, for example, one of the one of the places they zero in on is the amygdala. Right. Yeah. The amygdala helps you. It, it helps regulate emotions. It helps helps you experience emotions. And in psychopaths, at least in, in some studies, Using MRIs, they show that if your amygdala is less active as it is in people who score high on the, um, psychopathy checklist, um, their amygdala does not react normally in, in certain tests, right? Uh-huh. And this, this actually makes a lot of sense because when you're being socialized by your parents, one of the ways that they socialize you, probably the most important way they socialize you is by punishing you when you're bad. Yeah. And you feel bad. You feel bad for letting your parents down. You might feel angry because you can't leave your room or have dessert. Um, whatever it is, you're experiencing some pretty pronounced negative emotions right then. And so over time, you start to associate 
those negative emotions with the bad behavior that your parents are trying to curb. And eventually you're going to stop doing that bad behavior because it feels bad to do it yeah. because you keep getting punished. And then maybe your, your own brain takes over and you feel negative emotions when you do that stuff. Right. Yeah. If your amygdala is not functioning properly, then that's not going to happen. That process isn't going to work Yeah. because you're not going to experience those negative emotions. You're just going to be like, well, I wish I could leave my room. I think I'll just climb out the window over here. Right. Not, oh, I feel so bad for letting my parents down. You're not going to experience that because your amygdala is not functioning. So they've really zeroed in on the amygdala. But apparently the big toast of the town these days is the Paralimbic system. Yeah, that's when, uh, in, you know, in the, in the Wonder Machine, the fMRI machine, it lights up and shows you what parts of the brain are being used and to what extent. I know we've talked about that a lot, but yeah. uh, in case you didn't know. Uh, and the paralimbic system uh, is underdeveloped in psychopaths, or it seems so at least. Right. And that that region controls uh, emotional memories, inhibition, and moral reasoning. So that seems pretty obvious if you have an underdeveloped paralimbic system that that's kind of big on the checklist of psychopathy. Yeah. And there's a whole group of people who are um, kind of leading the current research in psychopathy, studying um, the prisoners. Because if you're a prisoner, chances are you're going to be forced to take the um, psychopathy checklist. Um, and that's that's again, that's where most of our psychopath study population resides is in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they volunteer for a follow up study, if they score high on the, the psychopathy checklist, um, they'll probably be put into an MRI and given different tests and. These are the people who the results are starting to be to be cold from, basically. Yeah. Uh, using the MRI, and, and they seem to it does seem to be pointing to the paralimbic system. Very interesting. I think. It is extremely interesting, but again, it makes you feel like, well, wait a minute, if it's not these people's fault, like, what can we do? Right. And part of the problem, Chuck, is that there's like zero, none, a million percent to the negative cure. Yeah, you're not going to cure, um, if you have an underdeveloped, uh, paralimbic system or amygdala, there's nothing you can do about that. Right. You know, um, what you can do is hope to improve, um, with therapy, obviously. Um, catching it earlier in life is obviously going to help more. And what they found, there's one, uh, sort of treatment. They found that a lot of the, the typical treatments you might use don't work. Um, everything from uh, group therapy to electroshock and yeah. drugs. Group therapy in particular was found not to work because it gave psychopaths a chance to hone their manipulative oh, behavior. Sure. Which is just a bad idea out of the gate. Yeah, it made things worse. So right. um, recently they started work uh, with kids that they seem to have uh, made some gained some ground on called decompression treatment, uh, the basis of which is basically uh, rewarding and this is through hours long session, hours long, mm-hmm. hours long sessions mm-hmm. um, of psychologists uh, increasing reward for good behavior. So instead of talking about the bad behavior and punishing bad behavior, it's rewarding good behavior and kind of feeding that desire of the psychopath to feel like they're winning. Um, I don't know. It's It seems to work. It seems a little dangerous to me, too, like you're feeding the thing that they require, but maybe, maybe that makes sense. I read a really, really interesting, um, Quora post called, uh, what it feels like to be a psychopath. 
Oh, wow. Um, and it's exactly that. It's, the person wrote it anonymously. They seem to have, they seem to be legit, not that they're just making it up as they, they go along. Um, and they, uh, they talk about basically being trained that they're, they're a psychopath. They're going to be a psychopath for the rest of their life. Right. And they're just trying to learn how to be good in society while being a psychopath. Um, so they can go along and get along. It's really interesting, but, but that's supposedly the best you can hope for. Again, there's no cure. There is treatment, but uh, if you, unless somebody's saying like, son, there's something really, really wrong with you. Uh -huh. And I'm really worried about you and, and I'm going to cut you out of my will unless you go see a shrink. The psychopath is typically not going to say, I really need some help with my moral reasoning. So I'm going right. to go, go get, you know, some treatment. It's just not going to happen. So there's a, there's a really big catch 22 in there. Oh yeah. With psycho, psychopathy to begin with. But then Chuck, there's also a question of, you know, what is psychopathy? Like, are we sure we know exactly what a psychopath is? And, and psychiatry and psychology is such a long history of just so much overconfidence and self-assuredness yeah, when they when they're really getting it wrong. Yeah, that that you can be forgiven for stopping and saying, "Whoa, you guys are are the arbiters of what's normal in society." Mm -hmm. Um and this is a really serious thing to label somebody. So are we sure we know what we're talking about? And not everybody says, "Yeah, yeah, we know what psychopathy is." I mean, we're we're using interchangeable terms that don't even describe the same thing still. Yeah. Like sociopath and psychopath. It's just, there's a lot of confusion and it just seems kind of dangerous to, to label people with that stigma. At the same time, if psychopaths do exist in, in the form that psychiatry and psychology says it does, it's dangerous to have those people out and about too. Yeah. I think I agree with you now that this just smacks of 50 years later saying, I can't believe we used to do things and label people this way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's hard to tell when you're in the middle of that time. Yeah, for sure. But, um, I don't know. Very interesting. Yeah. There's, uh, did you ever read the psychopath test? I have not read it. I know of it. I know Ronson wrote it. Yeah. Um, John Ronson, who, uh, friend of stuff you should know. And he's actually done a, uh, one of our live shows at the bell house with yep. us without shoes on. But did he not wear shoes? Yeah. He was just wearing socks. <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Mm -hmm. But he it very strangely walked from the upper west side of New York to maybe Gowanus. without shoes. Well, maybe his feet were just hurting from that walk. That's possible. Anyway, lovely guy. And he wrote a great book called the psychopath test. And he does a lot of extensive, uh, interviewing with, uh, with hair and, um, and other professionals and psychopaths and CEOs. Mm -hmm. So, uh, investigative journalist, just really terrific book. Yeah. And, uh, I hate to be pluggy, but it's a, <laughs> it seems like an organic time to mention, that I've got a new solo podcast coming mm -hmm. called Movie Crush. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the tagline is your favorite people, their favorite movie. Oh, that's a good tagline. You like that? Yeah. I came up with that. Nice work. <laughs> My buddy Scotty thought of Movie Crush, the title. But basically, I sit down once a week and talk to some uh, kind of notable person about their favorite movie. It's a great idea, Chuck. Thanks, man. Very it's simple It's going to be gangbusters. Well, I want to have you on. Oh, I'd love to be on. Which would be very strange. <laughs> it would. I mean, it's a conversation, but just the thought of like, 
quote unquote interviewing you would be weird. Well, anytime you want me on, I'm happy to be on. But <laughs> well, if it is too weird, that's fine too. Oh no, it won't be too weird. That'd be great. But anyway, long story short, I had uh had Ronson on and um his favorite movie, I'll go ahead and just set this up as a teaser, was is Let the Right One In. Oh, that's such a good movie. The Swedish vampire movie. Yeah, man, that was so good. And I don't know when it, we're going to start releasing them. I got to get a bunch of them in the can because scheduling people is tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I need a nice pad. But um, sometime in the fall, look for uh, Movie Crush. Well, best of luck. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, and just talking to Ronson's great. I love that guy. Yeah, he's such a good guy. Really good dude. Yeah, and just pro tip, if any of you are ever around John Ronson, be careful not to step on his feet. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, well, you got anything more about psychopaths? I got nothing more about psychopaths. That's pretty interesting because it seems like there's a lot, but there's not. We said it all. Correct. If you want to know more about psychopaths, again, there's nothing more to know. But if you want to read this cool article on how stuff works, you can type psychopathy into the search bar. And uh, since I said psychopathy, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this short and sweet. Uh, And it's basically kind of set up to uh, promote the stuff you should know army. Um, I don't know who first coined that phrase, but the stuff you should know army are is a collection of our most ardent listeners and fans who over the years have got their own little mini community uh, on Facebook. Even there's a stuff you should know army Facebook page mm-hmm. and they're just like the cream of the crop and just good people who love to talk about the episodes and help each other out in life uh, with various things. Just they're, they're not psychopaths in any way. <laughs> right. You know, ironically, they're not militant either. No, they're not. So this is just a kind of a short email about that uh, from Tony. Uh, hey, guys, been listening to you for a little over two years now. And even though I love learning about all the topics, my absolute favorite thing I've received from your work is unintentionally meeting real life stuff you should know army personnel out there at work and in social situations and going way too far down the rabbit hole with them about our favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he says S-Y-S-M. Instead of S-Y-S-K. Stuff you should mow. mow. (laughs) Lawns you should mow. Right. Uh, Anyway, thank you for the work and all you've done. Uh, You three really brighten people's lives. Uh, Forever a devoted listener. That is from Tony Latham Jr. from Sacramento. Thanks a lot, Junior. We appreciate that. That was very nice of you. Big thanks to all this stuff you should know, Army. Yeah, for sure. You're the core uh, that kind of keeps this machine running. Yeah. And if if you're interested, you want to connect to some really great people... Online and in real life, just uh, go to the uh, Stuff You Should Know Army Facebook page. Is it um, by invitation? Is it open to the public? Do I you know? think you have to. Uh, I mean, you don't apply, but it's a, it's a members only page. Yeah. So you, you got to click on something and then, you know, one of our admins, I'm sure, goes, they look all right. Right. <laughs> Let's let them in. Yeah. I think they have a Twitter handle as well, too. Oh, okay, great. So check that out. And you can check us out on Twitter, too. I've got my own Twitter handle. It's Josh Um Clark. Uh, there's also the official one at SYSK Podcast. Chuck is on Facebook at Charles W. Chuck Bryant and uh, at Stuff You Should Know as well. And you can send us all an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 